0: welcome to ask the dean my name is dr ryan gray and i'm the co-founder of mapt i'm joined every week by rachel grubbs the other co-founder of mapt who has 20 years experience in the pre-med and test prep world and by dr scott wright former executive director of tmdsas and former director of admissions at ut southwestern medical school ask the dean is a weekly q a we do live exclusively for our mapt members and this podcast is a recording of that session, so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Before we jump in, and I know I saw one question pop up. Um, since we recorded "Ask the Dean" last, we now have four people using Mapped, four real students mm-hmm. in Mapped yep. using. Uh, Scott, you came into this a little bit later than than Rachel and I, since Rachel and I co-founded this together. Um, when we first pitched this idea to Map to you, and what our brainchild was, and, and what we wanted it to do, and then you saw someone actually doing what kind of our our thoughts and, and ideas were, what was that like for you?
1: <laughs> it was uh, awesome, actually, because you know it's 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 incredible to see a an idea the genesis of an idea explode into reality and to see those students putting in courses and putting in their MCAT scores and typing in activities that they have been participating in and uh, getting their feedback on, on what it was like to do all that. And, and uh, it was, it was really incredible. I mean, it was incredible for me, I'm sure for you guys who have been really involved in it at much, a, a much Longer period of time and much greater level, uh, it was just uh, overwhelming. But I, I was super pleased with how everything was going, and 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 I think we got some good feedback from those students uh, that were using it. But uh, it it was just uh, it was a really great experience to watch all that happening.
0: Now you, you have a unique perspective from director of admissions, from running the pre-health office at UT Dallas to being the former executive director of TMDSAS. You have way too many former titles. Um, The four students who are watching this, listening to this uh, who are working with their pre-health advisor With your experience, how much do you think this potentially would help the communication with their advisor in the future?
1: Oh, I think it's a game changer because I think that, you know, when I was sitting in the role of an advisor and a student would walk into my office, uh, it would have been so beneficial to me to be able to log into a system like Matt and to be able to see what the student has input into that. Not only their courses, but their their activities, what they've been doing, and what they're learning out of what they've been doing, uh, what their what their their trend line looks like in terms of GPA, what those practice test scores are looking like, what the real test scores are looking like in terms of uh, MCAT. Um, I mean, being able to do all that and see all that with a student would have been really uh, a massive game changer in terms of what I was going to be able to do to help them in the process otherwise because you know if I'm able to just log in and look at all that in a snapshot then it makes a huge difference because then we're not spending a lot of time going over all that stuff in an advising session we're able to really talk about the meaty information and what's happening and where where is this going and how, how are you, um, you know, how, how do you feel like things are going with you, et cetera, with a student? And, uh, and so I, I think it's going to be a game changer in terms of on the student's perspective and also from a, an advisor perspective. I'm, I'm very pleased with
0: it. I, th- I think you just coined a, a, new, uh, a new kind of subtitle, a new slogan for us, mapped get to the meat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Get to the meat. That's right. I, I like mean, it. It really, it really does allow the student and the advisor to get to the real heart of the issues Yeah, that they need to discuss in a, in a session because you know, you're looking at um, a session which typically lasts 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes uh, where you really need to get to the heart of things. Yep. Uh, and, and that's important. So uh, I, I'm really excited about what this, what this can do in the relationship between an advisor and a student. Yeah. Rachel. In addition to what it can do with a student on their own.
0: Yeah. Rachel, what did you think seeing that happen?
2: Well, first I'm going to say, Get to the beans. No, no.
0: I saw I saw that the comment. Beans. I'm gonna ignore it. There's what? fake meat. You can have fake meat for the vegetarians yes. out there.
1: Yes, fake meat. <laughs> and, and it's not called fake meat, it's called amazing meat or something. <laughs> I don't
2: know if have some word for it. <laughs> but just regular old beans are better. Okay, vegetarianism <laughs> aside, yeah. I have been um it's weird, right? Because it's 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 our own product, right? So you're you're proud and happy, and then you're beating yourself up because It's good and I'm so excited and literally watching like our dream become a reality and yet there's so much more we want to do. So especially when we started having beta testers and, you know, we three and our folks on the tech team know what we want to have happen in the next couple weeks before it actually launches and what we want to have happen in the next couple months and what we, you know, we even dream about what might happen in the next future years. So you put it out there and it's this baby that you build. And then you're like, it is brand new. It's just learning to walk. <laughs> it's going to um, fall down
0: a few times.
2: Um, yep. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really proud and really happy. And I also want to just keep, you know, banging away and continue to get, you know, slowly to be careful to make sure we don't overload. But keep getting users in the system. And sorry about calling you guys users. That's just a tech <laughs> term. I mean, like, real live human beings. Yep. <laughs> Because, um, you know, uh, Ryan and Scott and I can get in there and play and do fake entries, but you guys are going to catch things we don't catch, you know, yep. so we want to start, start um, kind of this steady trickle of getting more real and real pre-meds into the system Um, so that we can continue to get your feedback and improve it. And it's not like when we launch the feedback stops and the improvement stops. It's ongoing. It's just that, you know, these next four weeks are really, well, even just three or four weeks are really critical for getting as much improvement as possible before we start to open it up to hundreds of people. You know, we're at four today. We're hoping to be at 800 before school goes back for most semester schools, like, you know, there's some more improvements we can make. So yeah. excited, excited, but also yep. wanting to keep working. Yep,
0: yep, yep, yep. Awesome. Of course, of All course. right, enough about us. I just wanted to get your reaction, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm so excited. What? Uh, what do we got? Question wise, let's kick it off. Have some fun,
1: All right?
0: Doctor Gray, being that you work with Blueprint, I don't know if I'd worry. I'll, I'll, I'll preface that later i wanted to ask you what your thoughts are regarding prep courses on between three options do it yourself compiling resources from content books UWorld, world double mc versus kaplan course versus blueprint prep course being that i'm a non-traditional student took some of my prereqs like gen chem a few years ago what would you recommend so let me uh, just put my little asterisk make sure I'm meeting the letter of the law. Just uh, my relationship with Next Step is I'm a, uh, an affiliate of them. So uh, I, I promote them and promote their practice tests because you guys tell me that they're the, bra- the best practice tests out there. So um, I'll go with that until you guys tell me there's another company out there that has better practice tests. So that's the, the majority of my relationship with Blueprint. Um, to prep course or not to prep course? Really, at the end of the day, that's the biggest question. The far, far, far majority of students, I think 60% or so. Rachel, you're, this is more your world. It's like 60% don't use any sort of third-party prep <coughs> sort of products. Um,
2: yeah. So you um, don't need them. No, you don't. I mean, I've worked for prep companies for a lot of my career. Not everyone needs one. Um, I mean, I think everyone needs WMC exams. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think almost everyone is going to need at least one other third-party resource because you really want to save the WMC exams for full-lengths and you're going to need to do drilling or practice passages. So whether it's, you know, a Q bank or a P bank, or set of books, or, you know, blueprint next steps practice exams. Um, DIY is, is pretty common these days. And what I would say is that I always recommended if you know you have not just the discipline, because I think, right. I'm generalizing here, most pre-meds have a lot of discipline, but also um, the ability to stay positive and the ability to self-analyze. Yeah. Because where MCAT prep can be tricky is you really do have to think about your study skills and your exam taking skills very differently than the way college asks you to do those things. Mm -hmm. So you have to be self-aware enough to really review your work and never go, oh, that was just a lazy mistake, I'll get it next time, but really analyze it. And when you get it right, even figure out why did I get it right? And really think about your critical reasoning and your inquiry skills. And I think it's very tempting for DIYers to turn it into a knowledge exam. And the WMC themselves say about 60% of the test is critical thinking of some form. So if you are highly disciplined and you think you're pretty self-aware, DIY is a great way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, The course will offer you structure and either Capital or Blueprint are gonna give you a ton of analytics. And that's where it can be really helpful is you can pour over your lessons learned journal or you can just look at all the percentages that they spew out for you. so I think that's that's the pro-con is you're paying more for the course, but you're getting uh, more hand-holding in terms of <clears throat> what do I do beyond content? What do I do to make sure I'm working yeah. on my testing skills?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So really the, the, the follow-up question to that is, which prep course do I choose after that? And that's really – I mean, do you like a Pontiac versus a Saturn versus and I just picked two cars that are no longer in business anymore <laughs> for fun. I was trying to think of what other cars are not in business for a third one. I couldn't think that quickly, but um yeah, it's I, I mean, I I love Blueprint's course. I've I've dug around in it. I love their their new technology. I love their analytics on the back end. I love their videos and and how engaging they are. Um so I, I really like them. But I, I don't think at the end of the day, I don't think you can go wrong with anyone. It's just a matter of you putting in the effort. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. For the personal statement, I know it is best to have an essay closer to the max character count, should this apply to secondaries as well. So let's let's start off with the first potential statement here. It is best to have an essay closer to the max character count. Scott, would you agree with that?
1: No. Uh, (laughs) No, I think, so that's making a a broad brush statement and I don't like the word best. Yeah. Uh, I think what is best is to say what you want to say. Yep. Uh, And now, you know, I've seen some You know, and honestly, when you get pretty close to the character count, they're not going to know they don't have a character count little thing on the application. So when an admissions committee member looks at it, he goes, oh, well, they had 50 more characters (laughs) to go. What the heck?
0: You know, they do that Um, in the military, Scott.
1: Do they really? Yeah, it's
0: it's called have no white space. So oh, when God. when you have your performance reports and it's EPR, OPR, depending on if you're an enlisted or officer, they, they it was the worst formatted like PDF that you had to fill out, and you would have one line per like accomplishment, and the goal was to have zero white space. So like every single character counted for, and they had a list of official abbreviations that you could use. It was like, that was uh, probably the number one thing that I'm like, I'm not staying in the military forever. If, (laughs) if this is, if this is what you're worried about me having white space on this thing, and that's going to be some judge of whether or not someone else gets a promotion, like I'm out of here. Like there's many better things to do to solve world hunger and, and world piece yeah. no, whatever yeah. anyway so
1: no yeah that's and that's not at all how it works in the admissions game yeah with, uh, with admissions committee members they're not going to know I so I, I really think the key is saying what you want to say yeah and and the meat of your message uh, and communicating that now yeah you don't want to have you know you don't want to have 5,000 characters available to you and you use1,000 of them yeah. Uh, but also, I don't think you want to, you know, fixate on filling up every bit of that. Yeah. I just don't think that's the way you want to go. Now, when you get to smaller essays on secondaries or even some of the some of the activity descriptions, um, uh, I, I do think you you know it's more likely that you're going to run out of space and that you're going to have to be using some real. Uh, uh, You know, notable abbreviations, or particularly in the care in the uh, activity descriptions and stuff like that, where you where you don't have a whole lot of room and you're really trying to pack a lot in there. Uh, Secondary essays, a lot of times they're, you know, you know, five hundred words or three hundred words or whatever, and uh, kind of depends on the school or in terms of how much room they give you. But uh, I, I think the message here really is: it's best to say what you want to say. Uh, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be looking at, oh, you know, you've got extra words you could have used, because they can tell. What What is more likely is they're going to be able to tell if you're just trying to put stuff in there to 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 take up space. Yeah. Uh, if you're, you know, if, if you get off message, or if you if you're really just kind of reiterating things or whatever. uh, I don't think that's a a, a good way to go at it at all. So, so I really don't agree with the premise of the question that it's best uh, to do that. I think the best thing to do is to say what you want to say in a way that communicates who you are and what you're wanting to do and why uh, to the, uh, to the reader. That's the best.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So, this is probably more relevant back when the uh, ACOMIS, the DO application, was still forty five hundred characters for their personal yeah. statement, yeah. and so what I would see happen sometimes is students would write a forty five hundred character essay and then use that for the AMCAS essay, which is uh-huh. fifty three hundred characters, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and and probably what I've talked about before is that it's just it's very jarring usually to see that much shorter of an essay because most essays go
1: (laughs) yeah pretty close go
0: uh, pretty close yeah and and usually what happens is that that's just a flag to go hmm i wonder why it's so short and most people are going to know oh this is probably their their do essay and they're just reusing it so right off the bat there's this like are they lazy? Like they didn't want to rewrite yeah. it or add to yeah. it or yeah. so yeah. that you're automatically like behind the eight ball and, right. and then it's like, okay, and now, now I'm going to look at it with a little bit more scrutiny to see if you're telling your story and all this other stuff. Right. Right. So that's, that's probably where that came from or, or, or I've, yeah, I've it, probably it said it in the past to not do that. Um, so, and that's why.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that, make, that makes total sense to yeah. me, but I don't like the idea that, particularly on secondaries and stuff. If you've got that mentality from Mm. the beginning on everything in the application, then I think that's the wrong mentality. Correct.
0: Yeah. My, my typical answer to that is it needs to be as long as it needs to be and no longer. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. I remember one year at TMDSCS we had, this is totally uh, different, but we had a personal statement. It was a kid from Texas who went to school, uh, went to university outside of Texas, and he was applying to Texas medical schools. But you got a really uh, big, huge, uh, overt clue when his personal statement was one sentence, and it said, please do not accept me. I will not come. (laughs) Because he was applying to Texas schools simply because mom and dad wanted him to but he didn't want to go there. He wanted to go somewhere else. And I just remember that as, you know, okay, way to go. You know, he was doing what mom and dad wanted, but he, anyway, that's a whole nother story.
0: That's hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Oh, well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't be like that kid.
1: <laughs> no, don't be
0: that. Have open and honest conversations with your parents about why you want to live your life and not live their life.
1: Yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, I also saw a, uh, a personal statement one year that was in all caps. Personal <laughs> Stop sentence. yelling at me!
2: Okay. I, know, right? I was like, what on
0: earth was this Oh, thing? man, that's scary. Yeah, oh, well. For this upcoming year, I was supposed to be a junior. I've decided to defer my scholarship until next fall. I chose to do this because I didn't want to attend Zoom U, <laughs> not to be able to participate in my campus activities, research, etc., I plan to take an EMT course in the fall and volunteer while also studying full-time for the MCAT. In the spring, I will work as a full-time EMT and shadow volunteer, etc. How do you think schools will view this?
1: Hmm. Well, uh, my first thought on that is if you don't want to attend Zoom U, you're assuming that EMT course this fall is going to not be Zoom. Yep. Uh, You're also assuming (laughs) that you're going to be able to volunteer in the spring, which... God help us all if we're still dealing with COVID in the spring next year, uh, but who knows? Uh, so I think there's some implications to what you're saying, but I will say that I I don't think that, I mean, I, and we've talked about this a lot re- re- relative to COVID. And I think it's that the, the traditional wisdom about what to do and how to go about doing things is kind of out the window right now. Yeah, it's just uh, I think I I don't think you would run into any admissions committee member or any dean of admission that would have a problem with what you're what you're saying you want to do. If you're talking about, hey, I really want to be involved in my campus. I want to be involved with with, in the classroom experience. And I I really want to do that. So I'm going to take a year off do some other things that I can do during that year and hope that I can go back the next fall and, and really get back into it. I, 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 that makes total sense to me. And I think if that's what you want to do, you, it sounds like you've got a good, um, you've got a good understanding of why you want to do those things. And it's just going to be cognizant on you to, um, to represent those well and help the reader understand in terms of your application in the future, uh, why you did what you did, and but on on face value, I I don't have a problem at all with what you're talking about.
0: Yep, yeah, it's just a uh, another uh, another divergent uh, yep. kind of path, and and this yep. whole I I love this word that I heard on a podcast a while ago called equifinality is you you all end up in the same place as long as you're you're coming back and doing what you want to do right as as you said scott it's like why are you doing this right it's not like i want to hang out my mom's basement and smoke weed all day i don't want to go to school anymore well that's a different story yeah um and really that's that's the goal of journaling right and we have that built into map to kind of to to take notes and kind of put your thoughts down to go, why are you doing this? Cause you will be asked on it. on a lot of secondaries, did yeah. you have any sort of disruptions or interruptions with your schooling and stuff like that?
1: Particularly. And I, I was editing some secondaries just today. And, uh, the, there's a lot of secondaries now that specifically are asking about COVID yep. and ha- have things, what is happening with you related to COVID and has it put any barriers in your place and stuff? So, this stuff is relevant and the, the admissions committees really want to know, you know, how is all this affecting you? Yep. And uh so yeah. Absolutely.
0: Hopefully they wanna know, and they're not just checking a box by saying, No, eh, yeah. Yeah, I guess we should ask about COVID.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: Hello, Dr. Gray. A couple of sessions ago, you mentioned something about underserved minority communities not having equal access to preventive medicine. I think it was in the context of a question that was asked, that asked if you thought the U.S. healthcare system would improve as a result of the pandemic. Could you elaborate on what you mean by unequal access to preventive medicine? Very interesting. Wow. So here's the, at the end of the day... um, uh, obviously, access to healthcare in this country is is multifactorial. Number one, you have to have insurance, right? You have to have insurance that will uh, that will be taken by the the physician, by the provider, whoever it is that's seeing you. Number two, you have to have transportation to get to the clinic. Number three, you have to. Have the time to get to the clinic. So either you have uh, time off from work, uh, you have uh, a babysitter, you have lots of other potential um, just variables that that are put in the way. And so there's a lot of of ac- what what we call access to healthcare that has nothing to do with healthcare. But these are these barriers to getting healthcare, where there's a lot of unequal access for poor, disadvantaged, minority, potentially um, patients, and so it's it's really it's it's funny the a, a podcast episode I did this morning uh, with an amazing dude. Um, uh that's going to go out either this week or next week as we're recording this uh it was all about uh diversity and equity in healthcare he's he's the diversity and equity like chair head at Hackensack Medical School in New Jersey and and we had an amazing conversation just around understanding the, those types of barriers and and what's out there so um lots of variables it's a it's, it's a huge conversation i'm not smart enough to talk super in-depth about all of it i'm still learning um but uh yeah there's just go go research um yeah. and you can learn learn about it
1: yeah and knowing that, and let me just add uh ryan too that knowing that a a a good percentage not a huge percentage but there is a percentage of the american population who their healthcare is the ER Yep, ER is not preventative That's care. That's not preventative ER care is urgent care. Yep. That is, you know, and so when we have a population of, of people who their only choice when they get the flu or when they get, you know, when they, you know, have a cut on their arm or whatever is to go to the, 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 the big city ER and wait for eight to 12 hours to, uh, to be seen, um, this is a problem, and that, yeah. that is. But specifically addressing the issue of preventative care, that's—you know—that's a big—that's a yeah. big issue.
0: Scott, I'm—I'm going to correct you live on air. Uh oh. Live on air, preventive, not preventative. I'm sorry. Yes, that's okay. Almost everyone says preventative. But what, the, did the, what did y'all? What did you say? The cool what kids. The cool kids know that there's no "t" in preventative. <laughs> okay now you know
1: apparently i'm not as well educated as i thought so. <laughs> thanks for pointing that out
0: that's live. okay i you'll edit that
1: out of the podcast oh. no. <sighs>
0: that's how we do when when, <laughs> when i interview a, a preventive medicine specialist on the podcast they go preventive medicine i'm like thank you for saying it properly and they're like oh yeah we, we can't stand when people say it the other way it's it's one of those random words that preventative technically isn't wrong but it's a made-up word that was no. a lazy wrong word that we've used for so long that now it's a word gotcha. but but the actual field is preventive medicine so okay we, we use
1: it everywhere. well good to know i learned a little
0: education for you
1: i learned something new today <laughs>
0: um <laughs> So, yeah, it just goes. I mean, you could, you could follow the rabbit hole down, right? It, so let's say a patient does get to the doctor. Well, now the doctor says, oh you you need to exercise and eat healthy well they're in a food desert and there's really no healthy food and healthy food potentially costs more and I know there's some data that oh that's a myth or whatever but um, and oh you need to work out but how are you gonna work out I'm a single mom and I don't have time for this so whatever right there's just so many variables and what one thing it was it was super um, uh, fortuitous that I had this conversation this morning with with um, with this doctor. He's, he's not a medical doctor, but, but Tade um, is his first name. He's an education doctor, similar to you, I think. Um, and uh, he's at Hackensack. And I, I was listening to a podcast, actually, the po- podcast, or not a podcast, a book uh, that I've talked to both of you about, um, Upstream. And in this book, Upstream, they talked about Hackensack being this like model medical school where they send first year students out to the community into houses of patients to just hang out and see what's going on and, and to really just understand and have empathy for how people live in the community and, and what their potential struggles are day in and day out. And I thought that was a, that's an amazing thing to be able to do. So. it is
1: amazing. Just so you know, Oh, Scott's Googling over there. is in the Merriam Webster. I know. I told you it is, but that, that not, the dictionary is I a under, usage
0: dictionary, not a, is it right dictionary?
1: That. I understand that. <laughs> I understand that. I just wanted to clarify. I told you it technically isn't, right. I told you it's technically not wrong. Okay, I'm just saying. But I'm it is wrong. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there. All right, right all right, all right.
0: Um, all right, so let's let's move on to a, a longer question um, that we, we won't post here, but I'll, I'll give a gist. Uh, it's a very common question that comes up. Uh, Scott, I, I don't know if you've been asked this by students. A student goes and asks their professor for a letter of recommendation, and the professor mm-hmm. says, sure, I would love to sign one for you not write one for you I'd love to sign one for you Yep. will will you write a draft and send it to me and I'll tweak it and, and sign it for you what are your thoughts there <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um yeah I have asked I've have had this question before and I've also had this in my experience at UT Dallas where we had Situations like this that came up and we had to go to the professor and say, this is not an appropriate way of doing it. You would do and, that? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we, we had one, there was one particular one and and he was a very nice uh, older professor who um, really was just trying to get input from the student. Uh, but what, what I had to do was say, you know, it, it's just, it, it's unethical more than anything. Uh, and and I think if you, if, if, a, and and this, this is a, a thin line, I think for the student, because the student I'm sure is thinking, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. I can put really important stuff in there and I can, you know, help him kind of know more about me and whatever, mm. and, and, and craft it in a way that's going to be a positive letter and a really good, strong letter. But I think that this really, And this is going to sound very, um, what would I use, metaphysical, perhaps, (laughs) or philosophical, theoretical. Um, But it really does, in my view at least, address a a chief ethical um, quality of the student that the student has to say, that's not appropriate. Um, that's not appropriate for me to to write my own letter and have the professor sign it, basically is what, what what that question is asking. yeah and 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 what and I understand from the student's perspective that, well, you know, he said, and so this and he's a professor, and so yeah. you know, who am I to, you know question well what what that?
0: about from the other side of that's the only letter writer that said yes, that's the only, like type of letter that I need and he's the only, or she's the only person that I can ask and I need it. Right. It's, it's the, the students are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because the medical schools have these requirements and they only have access to who they have access to.
1: I mean, I, I do understand that, but I, I think what, what the student, if, if that is the case, if the student says, I, I, this is the only professor that I really know very well at, then you got bigger problems than just needing that one letter. So what that means is your entire college career, you've taken no opportunities to get to know anybody at all, to visit in office hours, to go and engage with a professor outside of the 300 people in your class. Uh, You haven't done anything. And so you get to the end point and you say, well, what else am I supposed to do? Well, you should have done something two years ago or a year ago or six months ago. So that you can get in this position, it's hard. Um, so that you know, I, 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 you know, if 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 I heard about that from a medical school, if I was on, you know, as the dean of admissions, if I was, if I was to hear this student wrote the letter and the professor signed it, I, we, I would totally discount the letter completely. It would it would be off the table. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't even look at it.
0: Yeah, what if what if the letters th- does it matter? Subject matter f- of the letter writer, right? If it's a non-science professor versus a science professor. No,
1: I think I, I think sometimes non-science professors write very rich, rich letters that give you a lot more input from them about the character of the student, their 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 work ethic, uh, what their interests are. Uh, so I don't have a
0: problem. That's because the students writing all those non-science letters. Yeah, right, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's such a.
1: We got a letter one year from a uh, 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 literature uh, a professor in the English department. It, most interesting letter I've ever seen, and this is totally off topic, but most interesting letter i would ever seen. It was from a, a professor that taught classes on poetry. Mm. The letter was a poem. Oh come on! No, I'm totally serious. Oh. It was a beautiful poem about the student.
0: Yeah, it, it was probably the student's like uh, final project. <laughs> like, <laughs> write your own letter, and that will be your in, final project too. In
1: <laughs> iambic <laughs> pentameter. <laughs>
0: oh, that's that's a little too much. Uh,
1: I I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Did you know? I, I mean, as an admissions. Uh, committee member you're reading letter after, letter after letter after letter after letter and then you encounter something like that and it's like a little bit of a you know breath of fresh air suddenly oh wow this is interesting <laughs> you know let me read this yep
0: and, anyway. no but that, that that doesn't give you the 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 person watching this or listening to this that doesn't give you free reign to get all creative and crazy on your personal no, no, statement. No,
1: no, no <laughs> not not at all. Please yeah that was not the purpose of that
2: story. <laughs> Um, Scott, it's Rachel. I wanted to chime in and ask because I'm someone who's been asked to do a lot of letter, letters of rec over the years. Yeah. Um, when I'm tight for time, when I genuinely want to give the recommendation, but I'm tight on time, I tend to just ask for as much supporting documentation as possible. Yeah,
1: that's a different thing. Different, yes. Yeah. Right.
2: But so that's, that's something the that student might be able to offer, right? Yes. I, I don't feel uh, like I can write it for you, but I'll give you my resume, my CV, a copy of yes. my application, my
1: personal statement, my you know, mapped w- access. Yes, absolutely. I think if if a, if a if a professor, and this is actually quite common, if a professor said, "Can I see a resume from you and a copy of your personal statement for the yeah. for the application?" Then that gives me some, as a letter writer, it gives me some context for what what they're saying and what they're doing. And and uh, and uh, and so I don't have a problem with that at all.
2: Yeah, Okay. to
1: me, so that's in a good thing.
2: I mean, we talked about a lot of hypotheticals that weren't relevant to our particular student asking this question, which is good, right? It's good to get into those. But for the student who wanted to know about the professor saying, can you write it for me? He or she can go back and say, no, I'm not comfortable with that, but here are some ways I can support you or yes. can say, no, Absolutely. thank you. I I guess I won't take your letter.
0: Yeah. And I'm gonna tell on you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks. I just wanted to Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, I think you're
1: right. That's support being supportive, giving supporting documentation uh, absolutely is 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 a grand way to help out the professor. Yep.
0: Cool, cool. All right. Another question. Should I ask this follow-up one over here? I will. All right. So there's another student who uh, we can't show the question. Four years of subpar GPA, graduated with a 2.8 GPA in biology. How many credits of science courses should I take as a do-it-yourself post to prove my academic ability? Scott, this is an algorithm that we can create for Apt.
1: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what we used to say at UT Dow at uh, Southwestern when I was there is we wanted to see at least forty-five hours, all sciences. Uh, obviously, the more you have, the more, um, the more, the, the the more hours you have, the the better the admissions committee is going to feel that that GPA, that post-grad GPA, is a real really who you are now, or really who you are in the sciences at, outside of. Um, now, and, and so the reason the, the number 45 was was kind of our number was because if, if a student was a post student who was, for example, a second career student, who really had no experience in the sciences at all, if they were starting from ground zero with the sciences. And uh, then they were going to have to, it was going to be about 45 hours to get them all done, uh, to, to do, all, you know, to do STAT, to do Gen Chem, O Chem, chem, And we required four semesters of biology uh, as opposed to two semesters in most of the other parts of the country. But I would say the more that you have, particularly of those upper level biological science classes, the more the more comfortable uh, that the admissions committee is going to be. Yep. And I think probably the better prepared you're going to be for, uh, for the MCAT anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh there was a saying when I went to my officer training uh, for the air force that uh, like the, the senior person in my, in my squadron would say, he's like, anyone can hug a bear for 10 seconds, whatever it was. Right. You just hu- hug a bear, grab onto it, and just hug and for for your whole life. Just just hug and you can get through it, right? Basically just saying you can you can get through anything. All right and basically the, the forty five hours is proving that that's not what you're doing, right? That that you're just sprinting like twenty hours, I'm just gonna give it all I got. Yeah. I'm gonna quit my job, yeah. I'm gonna do everything. Twenty hours. Okay, good, I'm done. Right. Right. Forty five right. hours is Can you really do this and not just like a one-time sprint and and you gave it all you got and medical school is not going to be like that? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good one. Good one. What else? Any other questions we got, Rachel? Oh, yeah, we got one here. I'm taking classes outside my university at a community college because I need to retake some of my prereqs to take the 3,000 and 4,000 level classes. My university has said that these classes won't be calculated into my GPA. I'll put an asterisk on that. Uh, However, will these be calculated to my overall GPA when I apply to medical school? P.S. I'm retaking my prereqs because there were C- C minus, and my university won't count them. And at community college, it's cheaper. All right. So this student asked the right question, right? The asterisk I was going to put on there was your university may not right. count at the classes, which is why students are so confused about this whole process. They're like, look at my GP is amazing, but your university got rid of all of your F's that are right. still there right. that you need to put on your you medical school them. application. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So regardless of what the university has, if they have grade replacement policies, forgiveness policies, whatever they have, except for another asterisk, like TMDSAS has the, um, is it Fresh Start or what's that called? Yeah, Fresh Start. Fresh mm-hmm. Start. So that that's yep. a little bit different, but for the yeah, most part... Every single class that you have taken, every single class basically that you've stepped foot in, regardless of getting a grade or not a grade or whatever, you basically have to put it on your, your application. So, um, so all of those grades will count.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's several levels to this question actually. And I think that, um, my concern is that the student is going it did not do well in the classes at the university. So they're going to community college yep. to retake the classes. Yep. That's why the university is not going to count them because you are retaking them at a different place so they're not going to count them toward your degree or whatever. Yep. Um, and so that is a concern to me because let's say you made a C minus in organic chemistry. Uh, at the university, you go to community college and you take the class, you make an A. Well, what does that say to an admissions committee? I'm not banging against community colleges, but I think the reality is, is different than the perception. The perception of many admissions committee members is going to be you couldn't hack it at the university. So you went to an a, a easier place to make a better grade. And that whether that's reality or not is irrelevant yeah. if that's the, in the mind of the admissions committee members that are looking at your file. Uh, now, you can kind of recover from that if, according to what you're saying you're going to do, you go and take 3,000, 4,000 level classes at the university, you do really well in them, then that's going to give c- credibility to the courses you took uh, and that you've kind of learned your lesson or whatever, and yeah. you're you're moving beyond that. So, so I think there's a lot going on here. I understand it's cheaper at community college; it's vastly cheaper often yep. at commu- at the community college. And so I get that. But my concern is that if you do well at the community college in those prerequisite courses, and then you move on to the senior junior senior level courses at your institution at your university, if you struggle in those then that's going to be a, a real problem.
0: Yeah. I think I would love to have a bigger conversation <laughs> a, another time with you about how do we remove that perception, right? Yeah. Because community colleges yeah. are cheaper and yeah. we're sitting here on one hand saying, we need more diversity. We need yep. we need Absolutely. Uh, more representation from what our society looks like. But you can't go to community college, which is the one way that you can do it. No.
1: Yeah. And that's not the message at all that I'm trying. Yeah. To, I'm not trying to send that message. Yeah. This specific question is, had, had some real specific yep. issues in
0: it. Yeah, no, I understand.
1: Which, which are not the same as, as generalizing. I'm not trying to generalize community college. There's a lot of students yep. that go to medical school that start off and do the first two years at community college and go on to university. And if in that, Situation: If your grades are consistent, yeah, and you and you get to university and you're still doing great, or maybe you even do better, then that's wonderful. That's yep. great. Uh, I think in this particular case, the the, the concern is this retaking this, this, and yeah, retaking bouncing back and, and forth. And, yeah, yeah, exactly
0: yeah exactly. it'd be interesting as a as an experiment for a class or or um, just to actually test this kind of stuff well number one is there any data out there that shows that c- the community college courses are easier right so yeah. going off of data yeah. uh, but then number two actually running an experiment and going hey I'm, I'm going to submit the data to the medical schools without any school names attached to the yeah. the transcript well I te-
1: so I have a little interesting uh tidbit just about this very topic.
0: Yeah, let's hear it.
1: My dissertation.
0: <laughs> Darn it, I'm talking to the wrong person.
1: <laughs> I
0: mean the right person.
1: <laughs> was not about community college oh. <laughs> because because what we used was primary institution, primary uh degree granting institution. But what I did in my dissertation was I looked at different levels of types of institutions. So I looked at, for example, private schools versus public schools. Mm. Or I looked at... Um, uh, and then I looked at the selectivity of an institution uh, in terms of their admission standards of a university. And what I looked at... Uh, the other thing I looked at was regional colleges uh, versus research-intensive colleges versus uh, small liberal arts institutions. And and I what I was looking at was does the student coming from these various types of institutions do differently when they're in medical school? Yep. Do they perform differently in the first two years of medical school specifically, or do they do uh, differently on what was the USMLE step one? And what I found was that there was a difference and the difference was on regional um, sort of regional state institutions and it, it wasn't to say that regional state institutions are not good but it was to say that typically regional state institutions are not uh, schools that a lot of pre-meds necessarily go to they're they they go to a lot of different schools all over the place but what they're looking at what 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 the what the the stat- statistical analysis that I did said. Now, of course, this was twenty years ago. Uh, <laughs> they had math back then. <laughs> I know what. The, mm, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, w- and so I say all that to say, it would be interesting to yeah. see what what that looked like. And and some of it, I didn't delve really any any further into it. Some of it's a self selection type type of yeah. thing. And what we have to keep in mind is that a community college is an open enrollment institution. Yep. Anybody can walk into a community college and go to school. Yep. Uh, whereas universities have admission standards that say you have to meet a certain level of a standard in high school or in previous transfer work to get in here and to walk in the class and to take classes. Yep. And, and so that dynamic does potentially change. What the classroom environment is going to look like, as well as what the, um, the, the what the professor is going to do and what the what the curricular uh, goals of the professor might be. It's not to say that there aren't some great, amazingly stellar students that come out of community colleges and do great yep. uh, in university and do wonderful in medical school, uh, but it is to say that, that there there is a, a notable difference in terms of um, what. Uh, who's walking into that classroom and what their previous preparation may or may not be. Yep. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. And I'm not, I'm not putting any, uh, value statement on that. I'm just saying it's, it's kind of, that's the reality of our structure of, uh, of things right now.
0: Yep. Anyway, burn it to the ground. No, 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 no,
1: I love community colleges. Yeah. Some of, I think some of the most enthusiastic students I've dealt with uh, are students who are at community colleges. I used to go yearly to a community college in, in uh, in Dallas area uh, to talk to their students who were doing the very pre-med kind of thing. Yeah. And often they had the best questions. They were the most motivated students because they were having to work and do stuff and, still go to school and they were having to do it all and mom and dad weren't paying for it. Yep, exactly. So I, I I, have, I, I think a lot about that type of student and I, I agree with you it needs a lot more discussion. Yeah.
0: Um, all right. There's one final question here. I see Rachel you want to throw that one up the letter of rec one. Yeah. How many letters of rec should I plan on getting a read somewhere that some universities may not read anything more than what they require usually three. So this is one of those, it depends, it depends yep. on the school. Every school has different requirements, uh, w- whether they want to science, when non-science as the general rule of thumb, whether they want a letter of recommendation from a physician, whether they're a DO school and, and right. require a letter of recommendation from a DO, follow what the school requires. Now, yep. above and beyond that, I think, is really the, the core of the question. If, if I send the required letters and there's just this one other letter that I, I really know is going to show who I am and really be great for me. Can't I send it as long as the school it's, it's still under the school's maximum letter count?
1: <clears throat> I don't see why not. Yeah. Uh, you know, like TMDSAS, we take in, in the letters unlike, um, you know, some of the other uh, things. And, and so we, we would take in the letters and, uh, but we're going to ultimately TMDSS is going to send to the schools whatever whatever we receive. Yep. I mean we're going to you know and and so the the, the key is that the undergraduate institutions often will dictate if they're if they're if they're doing a committee packet they may say you can only have yep. up to 5 letters in your committee packet or whatever. And uh, and they may limit it at the undergraduate level as in in terms of what they'll send uh, with the committee packet. And uh, so, but ultimately I think that the, that the medical schools are going to look at whatever, whatever they get, they're going to look at it and they're going to see what it's all about. Awesome. Is that your experience, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 I think so. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.